I turn your attention to Acts chapter 8. I know you've been standing. I want to read a few verses in your hearing before you're seated. And we'll start in verse 35. Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. Is there anything else that we should preach except that? Amen. And as they went on their way, they came unto a certain water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? And Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. Really, the only prerequisite to baptism is that we believe. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he commanded the chariot to stand still. And they went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. I can't seem to get over this question that was asked by this man who was desperately hungry for God. What doth hinder me to be baptized? I want to talk to you today on that thought. What doth hinder you? You may be seated. Thank you for standing. What doth hinder you? What hinders us from all that God is wanting to do? I want to say before I I get into this message tonight or today that We want to honor a lady that may not be here this morning, but much of her family is in our church, and we are thankful. Today, Tom Veeley's mother turned 100 years old. Wow. Not only has she reached this point that few people make, but... She is a godly woman and has been so her entire life. Folks, I'm going to tell you what, if you serve God, not only do you have the hope of heaven, it's the best life you can live on this planet. The story of Acts 8 is an interesting one. It starts out by explaining that Philip, this young anointed preacher, is preaching in Samaria. And having great revival. Philip was one of the young men that was chosen to serve in Acts chapter 6. As that Jerusalem church began to expand and grow. And the disciples could not meet all the needs of all the people. And so they chose out some men. The Bible says of honest report young men. And Philip was one of those that was chosen. He is kingdom minded. He is anointed. He has a servant's heart. He is serving, and no doubt, all of these things is something that I believe contributed to the fact that God's hand was upon his life. He goes into regions, if you were to read the latter part of Acts chapter 8, after he has this encounter with this man from Ethiopia down in the Gaza Strip, as it's known today, it says that he goes into an area that is called Ashdod. This was Philistine territory. This is something that we know about uh, Philip as we study his life. He goes uh, into Samaria, which was an area that uh, was not all that attractive. Many Jews would not even go into Samaria. And then he witnesses to this man from uh, Ethiopia. And this man is baptized as they come up on an oasis, no doubt, in the middle of of this desert. Later on we read about Philip that he has four daughters and they have the gift of prophecy as he settles after many years in the ministry in different regions and settles over in the area by Caesarea which is on the seaside. He has this family that is also anointed and four daughters that have the gift of prophecy. Suffice it all to say that this is a man of faith. A man that is fearless with the gospel. He is taking the gospel to the then known world. Interestingly enough, it's it's, uh, interesting to note that he was no doubt a part of 
this group that scattered out of Jerusalem because of the persecution of Saul. Saul, who later is converted in Acts chapter 9 when the Lord knocks him off his high horse as he is on his way to Damascus to get more authority to persecute more preachers and Christians. But it is at that point that the Lord says, Enough is enough! How many of you know God will give you some rope for a while, but at some point, enough is enough? can happen any moment for any of us. But for this man called Saul, prior to this moment, he was persecuting these Christians, these young preachers. The Bible says as they stoned Stephen, who was a contemporary of Philip, also a part of those young men that were chosen, that from this persecution, Stephen was stoned to death, and the Bible says Saul held the coats for those that stoned Stephen. These young men scattered out of Jerusalem after this execution of their friend Stephen. Philip goes to Samaria in obedience to the command of Jesus to be a witness, not only in Jerusalem, but in all of Judea and in Samaria. And in the middle of this revival in Samaria, where thousands are being filled with the Holy Ghost and being baptized in Jesus' name, a revival where Philip has confronted the sorcerer Simon, and Simon has to admit that there is a greater power than Philip possesses. It reminds me just a few weeks ago when we were in the country of Bangladesh and thousands of people were being healed and thousands of people were being filled with the Holy Ghost and the governor came out to the crusade the first night and I met him along with the missionary and the governor was there for the entire service. I watched him as he watched people be healed. Tumors disappear under our hands. Blind eyes opened up in front of us and tears changing from mucus and clouded tears to clear tears as scales came off their eyes. I watched this governor as he watched all of this and the next day he called the missionary and said, I want to know about this magic that you have brought to our country. We know it's not magic. It's the anointing of God. It's the power of the Holy Ghost. And this governor said to the missionary, we have not seen anything like this. We were preaching to a crowd that was 50% Hindu, 25% Muslim, and we saw women hold their babies up to us just so we would speak the name of Jesus over them. Because there is a recognition that there is none greater. There is no other name under heaven. There is no greater power. Everybody eventually, the Bible said, every knee is going to bow. Every tongue is going to confess that Jesus is Lord. Simon has to admit that this is a greater power than what he possesses. He asked if he could buy it. You can't buy it. All you can do is receive it. Hallelujah. How do we buy it? All you do is say, Lord, not my will, but thy will be done. And it's happening all over Samaria. Thousands of people are, are being filled with the Holy Ghost, being baptized in Jesus' name. Now, in the midst of this, Philip, who's the chief evangelist of this revival, he's told by an angel to go toward the south to the desert in the way between Jerusalem and Gaza. Now, get this. Philip is leaving a place where there has been a great move of the Spirit of God. He is now being told to go to a place in the desert where there is nobody. There is nothing. Desert. Samaria is in an area that lies north of Jerusalem, but now Philip is told to go toward the south, the area that we know of today as the Gaza Strip. It's over there in the south. It goes along the Mediterranean. It was the trade route that went down into Egypt and eventually down into Ethiopia, which was at that time south of Egypt. Now this was a route that people traveled as they would trade and move up from that area into Jerusalem. No doubt Philip had to move down through Jerusalem as he made his way down into the desert. Now I remind you there is no GPS. There is, this is 2,000 years ago. 
It's just being led by the Holy Ghost. Oh, I believe the Holy Ghost is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I believe the Holy Ghost should still be leading us every day. God, lead me to somebody today that wants to know what it takes to be saved. I'm asking you, God, to open the door. You don't even know why or where, but you just know that God has told you something special is going to happen right here. This was a man of faith. He had to follow the leading of the Holy Ghost. When he gets down there, I don't know if he went grudgingly. I don't know if he was excited about it, but he went. That's the main thing. When he gets there, he finds that God does have someone for him to witness to. The Ethiopians were the Nubian race, dwelling in the Nile region south of Egypt proper. country included all the land from Aswan of southern Egypt down into Ketorum of Sudan, which is the northern part of Sudan. This, the Bible calls the area of Ethiopia. It's not the country that we know of today in terms of those uh, property lines of what we see as the country of Ethiopia. It is now established as we look back and we read history that at least three centuries before Christ, Greek literature and thought had permeated this central African district. And there is a most remarkable civilization that has developed, even at this time that we read about in Acts chapter 8, under Candace. They tell us that Candace was no doubt more than just the name of an individual, but it was rather a title, a title of, le of leadership, much like Pharaoh was the leader of Egypt. And this man is an important individual. He is the keeper of the treasury. He is a man who is important in the court of this civilization that is quite developed and is quite prosperous. Perhaps because of the trade route that they were on. Perhaps because of their proximity to Egypt. But nonetheless, this man is a man of wealth and importance. Somewhere along the way, he was told about this Jewish God. He had traveled more than 200 miles to come to Jerusalem. The narrative of Acts tells us, for to worship. He had traveled over 200 miles of desert to get to a place where he could worship this Jehovah God. Don't you know that God notices every opening that you give him? That you've got a heart for something more than where you are right now. You may not know the right way. You may not have all your theology together. But there's something in your heart that says, I want to know more about God. And God will make a way. He marks every time we take note. Every time we go out of our way. Now this is a man who is a eunuch. He has been castrated. And now according to the book of Deuteronomy... Eunuchs were excluded from the assembly of the Lord. That's the actual phrase that's used in the book of Deuteronomy. They were excluded from the assembly of the Lord. However, Isaiah 56 verses 3 through 5 predicts great blessings for eunuchs in the millennial age. It says, and I quote, Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say the Lord will surely separate me from his people. And let not the eunuch say, Behold, I am a dry tree. For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me and hold fast my covenant. I will give in my house and within the walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters, I will give them an everlasting name. Ladies and gentlemen, you may try to exclude yourself from the presence of God. You may try to exclude yourself from the house of God. But I'm thankful to serve a God that even if you don't go into his presence, his presence can go into your heart. He will find you where you are and tell you that this salvation is for everybody regardless of your circumstances.
This eunuch was concerned enough about his spiritual life to make this great journey, but his heart is still not satisfied. If the eunuch at this time could not enter the congregation of Israel, Philip was able to afford him the opportunity through faith in Christ to enter the congregation of the new Israel of God. I think it's interesting that it was in Isaiah where this prophecy was told that these eunuchs would be able to come into the presence of God and that God would build a great nation and put his name on that. Because it's in Isaiah where this Ethiopian man is reading as he's traveling back to his home country. He's been in Jerusalem. He's seen all the blessings of God. He's perhaps even seen some of the disciples preaching on the streets. I don't know what all he saw. He was from Ethiopia and he was returning back to Ethiopia, but he was still hungry. He was still reaching he was still searching because he is reading the word of God ladies and gentlemen that's where you want to go if you're hungry you want to go to the word of God perhaps he had heard about the death of Stephen while he was in Jerusalem perhaps he had heard about this Messiah that the followers of Christ were preaching perhaps he saw many new converts who seemed happy and they were willing to witness this great testimony of Jesus, that the power of this man's ministry had not died with the crucifixion on Calvary, but instead was getting greater and bigger and spreading and nothing could stop it. Oh, ladies and gentlemen, I want to stop for a moment and just remind you that the God that you're serving is not a God who is limited by circumstances. He's not limited by governments. He's not limited by false religion. He's not limited by the traditions of man. You and I serve a God who's greater. He's bigger. Oh, he's better. His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And anything is possible with God. God can save anybody, anywhere, at any time. Perhaps he had seen the crowds, the ones, the pilgrims who had gathered to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles. Regardless of what his motivation was, he's reading... Isaiah, as he's returning back to Ethiopia. This spiritual encounter that you and I have to admit and agree to, if we believe the word of God at all, is orchestrated by God. He is working on both ends of the equation. He's got Philip, who he removes from a powerful revival in Samaria. And he's also working on the heart of this man from Ethiopia. Because he's reading in his chariot as this caravan is moving along. He's not driving the chariot. He's not even by himself. He's got an entourage. He's a man of wealth, a man of importance. He was very, a man of great reputation. Accomplished, educated, learned, wise, but hungry for God. Woo, I'm going to tell you something. You don't ever graduate from being hungry for God. I hope you stay hungry for God if you've been saved for 50 years. I hope you're still hungry for God. If you've been a minister for 25 years, I hope you're still hungry for God. If you've never been to church before and today is your first service, I hope that you're hungry for God because we all serve the same God and his name is Jesus. Whoa, hallelujah. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost in this house. And he's working as I noted in our earlier service, just like Abraham when he was taking his son up Isaac one side of the mountain. God was telling the ram on the other side, keep climbing, keep climbing. Both sides of the mountain he's working. Abraham's never going to see his answer until he makes the journey all the way to the top. How many times has God told you to do something but you didn't see the answer and you quit climbing halfway there? You never got the answer because you quit climbing. You got to keep climbing because God's got your answer coming up on the other side of the mountain. You can't see it. It's invisible. But when you get to the top and you say, Lord, not my will, but thy will be done. 
You're going to see your answers in the thicket. You're going to see the revival. You're going to see the miracle. You're going to see your unsaved loved ones being saved if you just keep on keeping on. The necessary three components that are required for conversion that we read about in Acts 8 with Philip and this man from Ethiopia, we read about in Acts 9 when Saul is converted and we read about it in Acts 10 when Peter goes down to the house of Cornelius who is a Roman centurion. All throughout the book of Acts we see it. There are three necessary components for conversion. The first is the Spirit of God. You must have His Spirit. I'm thankful for two people that were baptized with the Spirit of God this morning in our 8.30 service and more that will be in just a few moments. The Bible says if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. I don't care what a good person you are. I don't care how many cookies you sell, how many little old ladies you help across the street, how much money you give to the March of Dimes. None of that's going to save you. There is no social gospel that's going to get you into the pearly gates. There is only one way. There's only one door. There's only one... There's only one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all, and through all, and in you all. And his name is Jesus. We got to have his spirit. You've got a human spirit that you were born with. But you need a Holy Spirit that you get when you're born again. The first time you were born, you got a human spirit. The next time you're born, you get a Holy Spirit. He said you must be born again of the water and of the Spirit of God. Sometimes people say, oh, the Spirit of God is just like a bonus round that you get for good behavior or something. No, no. If any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he's not. You've got to have the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God was at work here. So that's the first component. The second thing is the Word of God. The Spirit of God works in concert with the Word of God. And then the third thing is the man of God. Now, let's talk for just a moment about each one of these. First of all, the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit in this case had taken Philip to Samaria where there had been a great move. And then it also had moved him from Samaria to the Gaza Strip. Then as you read a little bit more, you'll see it's the Holy Spirit that tells him to go and join yourself to this chariot. It's the Spirit of God that is working not only in Philip's life, but also in the heart of the Ethiopian eunuch. The Spirit of God has gone ahead and is preparing the heart of the Ethiopian. And also, it is preparing the heart of the messenger, working on both sides of the equation. But then comes the Word of God. The Bible says, So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. Romans 10, 17. The Word of God is the second essential component. The Holy Spirit will take the things of Christ and will reveal them to an individual. It is the Spirit of God using the Word of God. Whenever you begin to look into His Word, you have to recognize what drew me to the Word of God. It was the Spirit of God that called you. Told you to open that book and to begin reading. It was the Spirit of God that was leading you, but it led you to the Word of God. And when you open the Word of God, you begin to learn about the Spirit of God. But then comes the man of God. The Spirit of God uses the man of God who delivers the Word of God to produce a Son of God. Oh, hallelujah. You must be born again. It is the Word of God working in the heart of an individual by the Spirit of God that then calls upon the man of God. Why do we need the man? The Bible says he is chosen by the foolishness of preaching to save the lost. I'm thankful for a man of God in my life. I'm thankful for men and women of God who stand for truth and righteousness. Why did the Lord bother Peter? He was on vacation. Hanging out at his buddy Simon the Tanner's house. Taking it easy where it's breezy on the seaside. Up on the rooftop. Chilling. Laying out having one of them mid-afternoon naps. 
that everybody ought to, I hope you take one this week on vacation. Usually it hits you right after the Thanksgiving meal. I think I'm going to go lay before the Lord. <laughs> and the Lord shows Peter a vision. There's a knock at the door. All of a sudden he's got to go to Cornelius' house. Say what? How does he move Philip out of a great revival and put him in the middle of the desert? Because it's the plan of God to use a man of God. Boy, if there's somebody that taught you a Bible study, you ought to thank God for them every day. If there was somebody that preached you to an altar, you ought to thank God for it every day. A friend of mine told me they were writing a book on Willie Johnson. So you got any stories about Willie Johnson? You need to let us know. I remember hearing about Willie Johnson when I was a kid. Because it was back in the 50s and my father's father was been around Pentecost, but he had a smoking problem. Couldn't get rid of smoking. He'd smoked since he was a teenager. My dad said, I grew up seeing him. He always had to have a shirt with two pockets. There'd be a pack of cigarettes in one pocket and there'd be matches in the other pocket. And so my dad was coming out of Bible school. He invited his father to go down to, go down to the revival service down there in Miami. My grandfather wasn't sure he wanted to go, but... My dad talked him into it, and he got down there, and oh my goodness, he wasn't so sure that women could be preachers. And the evangelist was Willie Johnson. Woo! She wore a big white dress. Whew, she was anointed of God, boy. He sat there not sure if he was going to receive anything, but Willie Johnson preached him to the altar. My granddad went down to the altar crying like a baby. Lifted his hands and God filled him with the Holy Ghost. Woo! Boy, he was convinced then the only good preachers were women preachers. <laughs> Son, when's the next service? When's the next service? When's the next service? He was at every service. Somewhere around the third night, Willie Johnson got back there in my grandfather's face and said, you got a nicotine demon come here and follow me down to the front my grandfather walked down to the front he told me this as I was, as I, when I was a boy I was, my dad was reminding me of it as we were helping our friend who's writing a book on Sister Johnson tell him this story she's going to put it in the book my grandfather said Willie Johnson got him down there and put her right hand on his head and took her left hand and grabbed him by the throat. He said, I, was, ah! he said, I didn't know if I was going to be able to breathe. And Willie Johnson said, in the name of Jesus, I rebuke this devil. And held my granddad's throat like that. Nowadays, you got to be real, you know. The old days, it was the claw. <laughs> she said, in the name of Jesus. My granddad said, all of a sudden, something come boiling up out of his belly. He said, it was some kind of an awful taste. He said, it come right up out of my stomach and come right out of my throat. And he said, I belched it right out into the whole congregation. He said, it was the most awful taste I'd ever tasted. He said, I don't know what it was or where it came from. But he said, from that day forward, I never desired another cigarette. He died at 87 years old. Never one time going back to a cigarette. You know why? He told me my whole life, I'm thankful for Willie Johnson. I'm thankful for Willie Johnson. I'm thankful for somebody that'll step out in faith and pray for me. Or oh, you ought to lift your hands right now and thank God that somebody brought you the gospel. He got that Thank you, Lord, for men and women of faith.
Hallelujah. You may be seated. Then the Spirit said to Philip, go near and join thyself to this chair. And Philip ran thither. Ran thither. Not, oh, I don't know. Oh, ran thither. Oh, sometimes you've got to just run to God. Ran thither to him. I heard him read the prophet Isaiah. Said, understandest thou what thou readest? He said, how can I accept some man should guide me? He desired Philip that he'd come up and sit with him. This is a man who's the keeper of the treasure. You don't pick up hitchhikers when you're in charge of all the money. Of a nation who is thriving at this time. Come up here and join me. You had to get through all the Ethiopia secret service. You recognize there was some... See, the Holy Ghost was working on both sides. The place of the scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter and like a lamb dumb before his share, so opened he not his mouth. And his humiliation, his judgment was taken away. And who shall declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee, of whom speaketh the prophet this? Of himself or of some other man? This quotation from Isaiah was perplexing to the eunuch. He knew the passage described an individual. But was it Isaiah or was it someone else? His confusion was understandable, ladies and gentlemen, because even the Jewish experts were divided on the meaning of this passage. Some believe the slaughtered sheep represented Israel and all of their trials. Others thought Isaiah was referring to himself, and others thought the Messiah was Isaiah's subject. What's interesting is the respect for which he addresses Philip. I believe it was prompted by the Holy Ghost. But he gave reverence to him as one who could explain. He perceived him to be superior in spiritual things, though he's standing in the desert on the side of the road. Isn't it amazing how God can stage in atmosphere for one person that's hungry for God? One person that the law says is not even allowed in the assembly of the Lord. I've heard people say, boy, preacher, I'd come to your church, but if I did, boy, I'd tell you what, hell would split wide open. If I walked into that church, I'd tell them there's worse sinners than you. We've had worse sinners than you. God's blood can save you just like it did somebody else's. You ain't done so much that God can't save you. All it takes is you recognize that I've got to have God. I need God in my life. He'll move everything around so that you have an opportunity for salvation. He showed the eunuch the passage that he was reading was a prophecy of Jesus. This goes back to our Lord's own teaching that he had come to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. The Bible says this, and I quote, For the Son of Man also came to not be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Mark 10, 45. We can be certain that Philip introduced Isaiah 53, 4 through 6, when he preached the good news about Jesus. And we also can be certain that he talked about baptism. And maybe the lesson went on for an hour, maybe two hours, maybe several hours as the chariot was driving slowly through the desert. But it brought full conviction on the heart of this Nubian potentate, this powerful man from Ethiopia. Jesus is the answer. Jesus Christ was the sheep led to the slaughter. And as they went along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, see, here is water. What doth hinder me? What a brilliant question that is. Jesus is the answer. Baptism is necessary. What doth hinder us? Been down the desert, but now here's water. Philip, is there anything that would hinder me from being baptized? you got to do is believe Jesus is the Messiah. That Jesus is your answer. He said, I believe that he's the Son of God. And he commanded the chariot to stand still. 
Interesting enough, ladies and gentlemen, this is the same question that Peter asked the Jews that went with him to Cornelius' house in Acts 10. And as the word went forth, once again, the Spirit of God and the Word of God working in harmony. Peter preaching as the man of God and the Holy Ghost falls. And all these Jews that came with Peter, they hear them all speaking in tongues and they said he's got the, they've got the same Holy Ghost. They're, they're Romans. They're of the household of a Roman centurion. But they've got the same Spirit. The Bible says they were astonished. Because they heard him speak with tongues, they knew they had the same Spirit. And Peter turns and says to the Jews, can any man forbid water that these should not be baptized? Which have received the Holy Ghost as well as we. The New International Version said, Surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. So he ordered them to be baptized in the name of Jesus. Jesus said, You must be born again of the water and the Spirit. We have the Word of God. We have the preaching of the Word. And we have the Spirit of God. So the question still remains today as it was asked 2,000 years ago. What doth hinder us? What hinders us? We live in a country that does not hinder us. This is Thanksgiving week and I hope you'll reserve some time this week to thank God for the freedoms that we have in this nation. The freedom to assemble, freedom to come together. Nobody came here today worried about being arrested after you left. At least not for being in church. <laughs> freedom to speak. I don't have to worry about being arrested because I preach the name of Jesus today. Freedom to worship. We can lift our hands and lift our voices. We would not have these freedoms without brave men and women who have fought for our country. Millions who have died for our freedom. And we honor our veterans. Last Sunday, with our focus on the 20th pastoral anniversary, we did not have an opportunity to speak about our veterans, but I want to pause for just a moment and say we honor our veterans. We honor. We honor you. We honor you. Those that are dead and those that are still alive, we honor you. And it is not because of a lack of valor among our forefathers that we are restricted from salvation. They have done their part. They have fought with their own blood. Given us these freedoms that we have. These values that we have. That we espouse. It is not because of those that went before us that we are hindered. This year I visited Kathmandu, Nepal in January and this is a country whose government has restricted the Christian message from being taught. It was a closed community until the 1950s. Which is why Sir Edmund Hillary did not climb Mount Everest until the 50s. This country is held hostage by Hinduism and the worship of Buddha which is the modern day Baal. Since we were there in January, a number of our churches have been under severe persecution from the government. Some have even been arrested. But I talked with Brother Bobby by Facebook messaging, and he told me of a recent event that they had in the shadow of Mount Everest, where 27 people were filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost, and they baptized him in Jesus' name. A few months ago, we were in Bangladesh where centuries of false doctrine, persecution, and poverty has restricted the spread of the gospel. And we had 12 armed guards that escorted us to the crusade and back. But in the middle of that, people were not hindered from giving their heart to God. Ladies and gentlemen, we cannot use any of these excuses as a valid cause for what 
doth hinder us. We have the Bible in our hands. The Spirit of God in our hearts. The preaching of the Word in our ears. What doth hinder us? We have water. We have robes. And we have the name of Jesus. We've even got heated water. It's the first Pentecostal spa. Bubbles. Bubbles. Some of you that went to Ghana with me, Brother Riley, Brother Derek, you'll remember... Brother, I think Tyler was there that one morning. And they wanted to know about whether or not you could be baptized. We were teaching the leaders, the pastors. They said there's a belief in our country that when you get baptized, you've got to get baptized in a moving river. Because if you get baptized in a pond or in a baptismal tank, your sins can't be washed away. And they just sit in the water. They said, you got to be baptized in a river so they'll move on down the river. And the missionary said, that theology don't work. Because what about the man or woman that's down there washing their pants in the river? And here comes the sins coming down the river. Jesus' name. I don't know whether they go down river, up river, down the drain. All I know is they're not there anymore. It's not the water that saves us. It's the obedience to the word of God. See, here is water. You can stand to your feet. Sometimes our prison ministry is restricted from baptism, the inmates. God bless Brother Blackman and Brother Scott. What a great job they do. But they sometimes in the prisons have to wait for the chaplain to set up a certain time and a certain space. they got to get permission to do the baptism. So I'm thankful they got permission recently because a bunch of them were baptized in the name of Jesus in the prison in Orlando. But we don't have those restrictions. So what does hinder us? Several years ago, we went to the nursing home where Sister Joan Sicaruli was living. She was in a wheelchair, her body eaten up with muscular dystrophy, but she wanted to be baptized. So we went to the nursing home on Babcock Street. We found a place in the nursing home that had a big tub, and they had a lift with a big sling in it. And we talked to the people and said, is it possible we can baptize her with that? They said, Absolutely. So on my son's birthday, January 7th, we went over to the nursing home. And Sister Joan got in the sling and swung it out over the tub and went down in the tub in the nursing home in the name of Jesus Christ. What doth hinder you? you got two feet to walk. You ought to run to this altar. I'm ready to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. In Vietnam, it's against the law to baptize people. But we baptized a group of them in a public swimming pool. That was only about half of them. (laughs) In China... We baptized people in a public park next to a highway. And it's against the law to get baptized. But they didn't care. In Brazil, in one of the worst neighborhoods outside of Rio de Janeiro, young men's lives whose lives have been decimated by drugs and guns Many of their friends killed in the drug wars. 
Most of them drug pushers standing around that, but we baptized them in that blue barrel in the name of Jesus Christ. And they came up out of the water speaking in tongues as the Spirit gave the utterance. What doth hinder us? She cut the Jesus, 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 God himself through his servant has given the altar call. How many of you will move out from where you're standing right now? Will you move down to this altar? Here I come, God. Nothing's hindered me. There's no fetters on my feet. There's no chains restricted me. There's no man standing between me and you, God. Here I come. Here I come, God. Don't wait for more convenient season. This is your moment. This is your opportunity. Oh, this is beautiful. Yes, 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 yes. Come on, there's still room for you. I'm going to come running. I'm not gonna wait. I'm not gonna wait. say something oh my the Holy Ghost is working there are times when there is a pull from the Holy Ghost and you need to be aware it's not happening every day but there are specific times when God himself is tugging I, I feel that spirit in this house today if you have never been baptized in the name of Jesus in water I want you to come up on this platform and we're going to baptize you right now today we're not going to wait for next week we're not come on my brother don't be afraid we're not going to wait for next month on this Sunday before Thanksgiving we're going to say thank you Lord I thank you that you saved me I thank you that you're working in my life Lord I'm going to obey
obey your word today. Come on, I want to give you 20 more seconds. You've never been baptized in the name of Jesus. Come on, that's it. Come on up right now. Come on up right now. This is your day. This is your moment. This is your opportunity. When you go down in that water in Jesus' name, you're going to come up out of that water a new creature in Christ Jesus. We can baptize you with water, but God's going to baptize you with the Holy Ghost. Come on, my sister. That's beautiful. God bless you. God's got something great for you today. God bless you in Jesus' name. They're going to bring you right through there. We've got robes. We've got separate changing rooms. Everything you need is waiting on you right now. You do not have to leave this place without being baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. You believe that? You believe God wants to do that? Now, if you've been baptized in water, I got, I got to get back there in just a moment. Because this morning I was asking the Lord for 30 people to be baptized in Jesus' name. And the Lord said to me, while I was taking a shower this morning talking to him, he said, are you going to baptize them? And I said, but Lord, we have Brother Richie and Brother Scott and a wonderful staff. And the Lord said to me, what doth hinder you? <laughs> so I made up my mind I'm going to be doing the baptizing today because God has already given me a direct order so I'm going to go back there and we're going to baptize these people in Jesus name but I want to ask you this question if you've never been baptized with the Holy Ghost right where you stand right now if you'll lift your hands and begin to thank God for what he's done in your life and you begin to worship him God will baptize you with his Holy Spirit right now would you lift your hands right now and would you lift your voice and would you begin to worship him I receive your spirit I receive it in the name of Jesus come running to the 